Welcome to the Len Academy podcast, episode number 285. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lender's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27 to 29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lender's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lender is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lended Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Sign up today at lendit.com USA. So today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Nikki Golimus. She is the co-founder and COO of Nova Credit. Now, Nova's a really interesting company. We've had her partner, Misha, on the show before. We'll link to that in the show notes. I wanted to get Nikki on the show because they've done a lot, made a lot of traction in the last several years, and you know, we wanted to talk about what they've done, how they're helping immigrants, something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, as someone who really struggled uh, coming into this country as uh, as an immigrant. So really, we talk about what they've done, the partnership with American Express, which is groundbreaking, and what else they're doing, even beyond just helping out with credit data, and also all the different ways that they're helping, uh, helping immigrants today. We talk about that, and we talk about what's coming down the pipe. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Hey, Peter, it's good to be here. Okay, so I like to get these things started by going delving into some background. And like me, you are an immigrant to this country. And I know it's part, it's part of the story of, of Nova Credits. So why don't you get started you know, back at the, you know, at the start of your career and how you came to this country and, 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 and what you've sort of been doing? Sure. So, so I came to the US uh, for business school from the UK. I'd never lived uh, in the US before. I think I'd visited a couple of times. And so came here for, for grad school and actually you know, immediately ran into a lot of the challenges that immigrants face, trying to figure out how to buy groceries without being completely overwhelmed <laughs> by the amount of choice in American supermarkets. I, I remember that, um, yes. <laughs> trying to understand what health insurance was and how to obtain it, um, where to find people like me. But you know, some of, some of the biggest challenges was the ones around financial access, just you know, renting an apartment without putting down a six-month deposit, getting a student loan because I was uh, studying at the time um, at a at a reasonable rate, being able to get a credit card. You know, I'd, I'd applied for so many of these different project products and was getting rejected, all because despite having a, a credit history and a financial footprint in the UK, I had no financial identity here in the US, and mm-hmm. uh, that that is a challenge that not only I experienced but but millions of people like me experience. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I did it. I, I came back here before the, I really was over here. I moved over here in 91 to show you how old I am, but there was, there was no, yeah. <laughs> there was no real internet even back then of, I, you know, of any description. I, I got a CompuServe account to uh, communicate with my friends back in Australia, but uh, I, it was the hardest, it's the hardest thing to do to get into the financial system when you are out of it completely. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it, 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 I, it's, uh, I would love to have Nova Credit been available back then, but uh, anyway. So why don't why don't we start with the, then the the founding story? You guys met at business school, right? So 
what just tell us about the aha moment when you thought you know we really should start a business doing this <laughs> well first of all i don't i don't know if you have these like beautiful aha moments you sort of tell that story but it's it's definitely a build up and for me a lot of it was just like loving working with my my co-founder who I have such mm-hmm. deep respect for like loving the the building a company from scratch and getting really excited about the problem space and seeing that there was a, a much bigger market than we had imagined but but there was one one aha moment which i remember a lot which was we had been pitching uh, this one credit union and we'd had like cold emailed them had a couple of conversations uh, with their chief risk officer, they went super well. And we were like, wow, like this credit union serving immigrants, they are excited about our product. This shows us that there's a real market and a real opportunity. And yet, like I was, I kept emailing, I kept following up after this great meeting and they were never replying. Um, and I was getting more and more miffed and we were becoming more and more disheartened about, oh, maybe that meeting didn't go so well, who knows? And then one day, actually, my, my parents were visiting and we were, we were driving down uh, from San Francisco down to Santa Cruz. And I remember it was so beautiful. And the whole time, I'm not a great driver, so I'm, I'm very cautious. And I have my like phone in front of me in directions and it kept ringing. And I was like, stop ringing, I'm trying to drive. And so eventually I like pulled over and picked up the phone. And, and it was this, this chief risk officer uh, saying, hey, like, why are you not replying to my email? Something's not working. Like, We really wanted to follow up here and, and actually build something together. And I, I checked my inbox properly and realized that his emails were going to spam. Oh dear. Um, which, which was not the best of starts, but just like the fact that someone would go out of their way to find my phone number to call me was just one of these pieces where I was like, okay, this is not just a good idea. This is actually something that people want and at mm-hmm. the end of it was ready for. Um, and, you know, they're still a happy customer to this day. All right. Good to, good to know. So, so then when, what, actually, why don't we just step back for a second and talk about, what actually you do and how you've created this uh, this uh, system? Yeah, sure. So, so what we've built is is basically a lot of infrastructure. So we've connected all of the international credit bureau databases as well as some alternative data uh, into a single system. So we've had to go around the world and build partnerships. We then access that data in that country or wherever it is. We bring it to the US. We post-process it. We standardize it, so we map it all to a single format um, and and a set of standard industry metrics. And then we deliver it to financial institutions, to property managers, to telco. So if you look at a partnership, for instance, with American Express, in a a question of seconds within their application, they embed Nova Credit. A consumer is able to pull their international credit history. Amex is able to instantly access it in their systems to algorithmically underwrite on the basis of the data that they're getting and then to accept someone or issue them a credit card where previously they would have rejected them because they would have had no data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting. So then, and, and so how many countries are you working with? Because obviously, not not every country has a credit bureau or you know or any kind of centralized you know credit data at all. Uh, and some and credits obviously some credit bureaus are, are better than others. Like, how many countries have good credit data? Well, I actually think you'd be surprised. So I th- I think part of it is like, why now? Why start this business now? And and I think the big reason is that. There is more high quality data around in credit bureaus around the world than has ever existed. And I think if you look about 30 years ago, there were 30, 40 or so credit registries, credit bureaus around the world. Today you have well over 200, which means that countries have often multiple bureaus. A lot of these bureaus are new, so they're actually set up with the best technologies, with 
frankly, like superior user matching than we have in the US where it's not driven of an SSN where, sorry to say this, Pete, but I could probably find your SSN and the yeah, internet sure if I wanted within five minutes. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're actually based off of biometric data or other pieces. And so actually you find that there's, there's extraordinary high quality credit bureaus all around the world and that they're constantly opening new markets. So I think, you know, like the Ghanaian Credit Bureau opened a couple of years ago, Saudi Bureau is like 10, 10 years ago. You're, you're constantly seeing more and more bureaus opening. And so there is more and more of that data available. For us at Nova Credit, we we work with about 15 countries today. We have multiple providers for a few of our markets and different types of providers. We're on, I think, yeah, we're, we're on every continent bar Antarctica at this point, uh, which is uh, which is super exciting. And, and you know, our strategy is, is twofold. One is just like thinking about where the biggest migrant flows come from. Right. So for the US, that's like India, Mexico, China are the top three countries, and then and then you have a number of others after that. So we've really focused on those markets and then expanded beyond that. Um, and then the second piece is like really got to catch them all. Like as I said at the start, we're, we're building infrastructure. We're an infrastructure company, and so mm-hmm. if we want to build a, a a fair and inclusive financial system, we have to build all of the world. So um, right, the long right. And, yeah, and that that you know because I mean the US probably I mean even you know I think given I imagine immigration has slowed down a little bit. This is the country where everyone wants to come to. I mean, I grew up in Australia and this was, you know, my dad started a, a business and he always wanted to expand it to, to America. And that's ended up why, how I ended up over here. But, you know, you could be in, um, you know, Cote d'Ivoire or, or you know, Uruguay and, uh, you know, depending, and, and people want to come here. And there are people coming here from every, probably every country in the world. So how do you decide you obviously you got 15, you've probably got what 90% of immigrants. I mean, is, are you trying to get that last 10% as well? We definitely are. So we, again, we, we need, you know, part of our strategy is serving everyone. And again, we're, we're trying to, to build this global financial system. And so we need that. That said, sometimes there is more value for us going deeper in one country. So getting an additional provider in a country or getting mm-hmm. accessing not just credit data, but maybe bank transaction data in that country before going to build a smaller country. So we do have some like prioritization matrices and analytics that we do have to do internally um, to make sure that we're like deploying the product build and in the right places. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I want to talk, um, I want to talk about, you already mentioned it, the American Express partnership. This is a big deal. In fact, for me, the American Express was my saving grace when I came over here mm-hmm. because I could not get a credit card at all. Yeah. Um, and I had an American Express card from Australia that was still being built in Australian dollars, but American Express is a very international firm. And I just, that's what I used. I'd go around buying groceries with American Express card that uh, was, built, was, was being, built, being built in Australian dollars. So tell us about that, uh, that partnership, how it came together and, and really, and just how it's been going, because I know it's been over a year now. So uh, I'd love to get an update. Yeah, no, we've been partnered with American Express for a couple of years now. It's it's been it's been an awesome journey. So we started off uh, doing a, a a pilot with them back in 2018, um, and then uh, it was meant to be just two three months, and then it went so well that we just kept it running and kept it running, and then we did a full integration and a full rollout in 2019, um, and have been scaling the partnership since then. I think for American Express and, and what's been so powerful about us is, you know, first of all, they are a really international bank or financial institution, should I say. And, and we find, therefore, they kind of understand the problem really well. They, they have people who, people like you who said like, 
hey, I was your customer in Australia. Why can I not be your customer in the US? Why am I using an, an Australian currency denominated card? This makes no sense. And so like they, they really understand the problem. And also just their brand is, is around backing people going places. You know, they have always been a, a, a company that's oriented on these components. And so what we represent for them is, is, is a big acquisition opportunity to tap into all of the new arrivals uh, into the United States. And so that's been, a, that's been a great piece. And we've seen, you know, them able to approve people who they'd otherwise reject to get customers who are performing really well to not take on incremental risk. We have some, some really great outcomes from that. And I think that's, that's sending the message. And, and, you know, we're seeing this across the industry of just there is a massive opportunity here and, and, and how can this industry capture it? Because really, if you think about Ash, Ash Gupta is actually um, former chief risk officer of American Express is yep. an advisor and, and good friend to the company. The way he always frames it is there's like three ways for a, for, for a company in the credit space to grow. Either you're hoping for like the children of people who are already your customers <laughs> that you can therefore underwrite on the basis of them being children, or you're hoping for like people basically graduating university, starting to, or, or entering the job market in any way that you can start serving. Well, the third is immigration. And, you know, I think the pandemic proved this out in a year with lower immigration, you know, growth rates in America and frankly, across the OECD are incredibly low. And actually right. where population growth is coming from is immigrants. And so, you know, I think often we talk about the immigrant segment, the newcomer segment, as if it's this niche, as if it's this small opportunity, but, but this is the trend that's powering the future. You know, the, the, I think the, the forecasts um, at the, the, what is it, the, the Office of National Statistics in the US is, is that, you know, 80% of population growth is going to come from immigrants. And, the, and this isn't, it's not a political statement. It's just like a fact of the aging population and how do you right. support the economy? Right. And um, people having less so, kids. That's, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I want to, I want to just go back to, you told me this story a, a while back where you said you, how you started the American Express relationship. Can you, I, I think the listeners will get a kick out of this. So tell us how you got, how you first went to approach American Express. Oh, I always get, I get a little embarrassed, but um, uh, so I, um, I was talking to, to one of our advisors and he was saying, you know, who might be interested about at this at American Express? Um, there's this person named um, Vernon Marshall and you should reach out to him. He's, been, he's talked to me about this before, but I can't introduce you actually because um, right now we're working on something else with him. So I was like, okay, great. And I, and I sort of wrote down the name and I remember thinking to myself, well, what am I going to do? Cold email this person? They're never going to respond. They're, they're a busy person. But it was a rainy day. I didn't have a lot to do. So I, I, I shot him off a cold LinkedIn message and and to my total surprise, he responded. And it turned out that he was based in London and I was visiting my parents for the holidays. So we were able to organize like a 15, 20 minute meeting. And in the end, he spent like an hour and a half with me and was super engaged and super excited about this because he said, you know, exactly what every other, you know, risk, credit risk and marketing leader in the space will tell you, which is like, we've known about this problem for decades. Because you're not telling me anything new but we've been waiting for a solution and we're so excited that this finally exists. And so he then introduced me over to the rest of the team at American Express. And we had this uh, amazing person, Scott Ang, just sort of take it on and steward it as his baby and drive it with, with full determination and results. And yeah, it's kind of been an incredible journey since then. But I think, you know, I hadn't quite realized how senior Vernon was um, and I would probably be embarrassed uh, to, uh, to cold message him today, but it all worked out hey, for the parents. It worked out, so, yeah. LinkedIn, you should all use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So then what about, obviously, there's lots of other large institutions that have the exact same problem that American Express has. 
I mean, what can you share about other other partnerships that you've uh, you've got to date? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I would say that we really recognize like the, the problems that immigrants face are across multiple areas. So one area, for instance, is credit card, which we've talked about, and we are working with with additional credit card partners over time. But the other areas, you know, apartment rental can be extraordinarily challenging. And so um, we've actually been working with some of the largest tenant screening platforms in the U.S., Yardi and First Advantage, uh, in order to, to power landlords to not have to request additional deposits, additional verification, and actually be able to just approve these people like, like any other tenant uh, that they would be reviewing. We've been working in the telco space, things like device financing. We work across a range of credit use cases, so student loan, mortgage, car lease, uh, really just thinking about whatever it is that, that, that an immigrant uh, needs. And I think, you know, what I'm really excited about is the opportunity to take this global because, you know, Peter, you, you are saying people want to come to America and that's very true. But people also want to go to Australia, to Singapore, to the UK. To, there's sure. many other countries that are that to, to the UAE, you know, there's many other countries that are huge migrant hubs and that face exactly these challenges and, and where migration is likely to only go up, not down. And so, you know, we're excited about some of our partners and soon, <laughs> hopefully announcing soon, but, you know, some of our partners are, are pulling us into other geographies as well. Um, right. And I think that's, that's where a lot of the opportunity lies. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I want to switch gears and I, I'm, I'm on your website on my other screen over here. Oh, and, oh. this is a live test. You spot, uh, have you spotted some typos? <laughs> Not at all. No, it says apply for US credit cards with confidence with Ellis. So tell Ooh. me about Ellis. Who's Ellis? <laughs> Who is Ellis? So this is. Um, so I'll tell you what Ellis is, and then and then I'll give you like a, a an overview of the pains of product naming at startups. But um, so <laughs> Ellis is actually so everything I've talked to you about so far is is B two B. It's us providing data behind the scenes. Right. But um, what happened is that we launched our our company and we were B two B. We were lucky to get some press. Thank you for featuring us mm-hmm. um, in, in different fora. And we started to get people writing into us and saying like hey, I just moved from Brazil. Can you help me get a student loan? Or can you help me rent this apartment? We'd always say to them like, no, 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 we're, we're a B2B company. Go, go figure it out yourself. And after a certain point, we thought, okay, this is a great opportunity for us to not only serve these consumers, but also to be able to send leads to our partners um, and help them grow as well. So sort of last year, we launched um, this platform, Ellis, which I would say is still, we're still experimenting and still, still growing it. But what it includes is ways to see your international credit score or ways to get information on where are the best Indian grocery stores in the Bay Area, or why do you need health insurance and how does it work? So there's content on there too. And then, you know, if you're looking for a credit card provider or others or, or other services, um, click on one of our partners here. We're still we're still growing it um, in different ways. So we plan to add more countries, more products, different different features to it. But it's been uh, it's been really engaging and really fun uh, to have a, a direct line to consumers and and frankly you know getting to hear some of their stories as well and and then the name Ellis is off of obviously Ellis Island um, mm-hmm. which you know we want to be a a migrant port of call um, and a and a place to answer their questions to help them build community and then we argued about a whole bunch of other names and the conversation was interminable uh, so we went with Ellis. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay, great. No, it's funny because I mean, most when I come over here, I like uh, there's a there's an expat population of just about every country, and that's how I mean, like it's hard to navigate the system when you don't know. Uh, And and again, I you know 
the, the it's it's the what you're what you're providing here is sort of a more objective kind of uh, you know, kind of a way to gather this information because you don't realize I mean, Americans take it for granted, but when you come over here, everything is unknown and it is so different to any other country, even. I mean, even Canada, it's just very different here. And so there's a lot to learn, but so it's great. I think that it could be, obviously that could, you could, you could have the port, the port of call, as you say, for immigrants and uh, really, I mean, you, you can do a lot with that uh, right there for sure. Okay. So I, we, we touched on it, but I, I want to, I'd love to get a sense of the pandemic and the impact it's, you know, immigration obviously went way down. It was already going down. The Trump administration obviously did not have a, a pro-immigration stance and with the pandemic it exacerbated that. How's that affected your business? Oh, it's definitely a huge effect. I mean, if you look at, um, I think, you know, I don't, we don't have perfect numbers on this, but just, just to qualify the statement you just made, I think immigration flows last year were were 10 or 20% of what they are in normal years, and they'd actually been growing. So, so definitely, you know, bad news for us and, and bad news for us just in terms of like, you know, short-term volumes that our customers were seeing. But also, um, you know, I think you may recall that many banks had their hands full with other priorities uh, and components <laughs> to, to focus on during the year. So it definitely, we were super fortunate. We had just raised a really big, um, Series B at the start of last year. So we raised $15 million backed by Kleiner Perkins, Canopy and others. So we had the sort of capital to weather the storm. But but what it ended up pushing us to do was, was really to focus on on longer term initiatives. So we really, we really invested a lot in product build last year, not just adding more countries, but adding more different types of data sets, tweaking our user experiences, also investing in some of these longer term partnerships. Um, mm-hmm. So figuring out new solutions for partners or bigger opportunities for them in, in other countries and, and things like that. So it was a tough year. Um, right. I think uh, I think we can all attest to that and there's no pretending otherwise, but we're sort of entering 2021 and it's, it's been great. Like we've already seen like volume starting to ramp. Uh, we're seeing a lot of great news, you know, already just yesterday, um, which was the inauguration. There were changes to uh, some of the previous executive orders on immigration. The vaccination program is going extraordinarily well. And we're seeing that, you know, Banks are really coming back and starting to invest in growth, having previously retrenched for the market. Right, right. So then, what? Let's talk about those banks for for a minute. How, like, when when you're talking with them, you obviously you have a range of different things you can offer now. I mean, what are some of the the innovative tools that uh, the that you're seeing your banking customers use? You know, I think I think last year was really the year of like banks moving away from pure credit reporting to start looking seriously at other data sets. Now, obviously the fintech community, you, Peter, have been talking about this for a while, but I think to see mainstream banks start to do that has been significant. And that's just been because, you know, first of all, they needed like much more active data sets, not just lagging data sets, given how quickly the economy was changing because credit scores were sort of going up given some of the various government programs and therefore they weren't able to get a very accurate picture of credit risk. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of forced them to like look outside. And I think what's what's really exciting about this sort of investment in bank transaction data or, or even other alternative data sets as, as part of underwriting is that you know, I, I'm not I'm not of the like throw out the baby with the bathwater school of thought. I, I don't think the credit reports are terrible. You know, we built a credit report business. We think this data is like highly predictive and and frankly the most fair solution that you can use. But I think that the current credit system and the credit industry works really well, call it for 80% of the people. And then I think there's like maybe 20% 
and I'd include immigrants, um, but other, you know, thin file Americans or just people who are sort of at the fringes of the credit system and you get really discouraged. Um, and so mm -hmm. there are a lot of analyses out there that show that as soon as you bring in transaction data or other alternative data, many, many millions more people become scorable um, and become underwritable. Or that you can also even just spare them like super onerous processes in terms of the actual the, the actual application, which you know it's still amazing to me how many times you have to follow up with pen and paper and calls and, and this and that rather than having the the seamless fintech application that we all aspire to. Right, right, and that which which brings me to another question about um, you talked about credit cards and that's obviously a. You know, that's still a, the, the really the biggest uh, the biggest product I imagine uh, for personal credit. But what about what about you know, personal loans? And the fintech sector has really been the pioneers here in, in personal loans, and a lot of them have are pretty open to using you know alternative data sources. I mean, I would have thought by now that you'd be really heavily into many of the fintech lenders. Can you give us a, some sort of sense on uh, you know on on how you're doing there? Yeah, so so we definitely uh, we do work with some of the the big names in fintech, actually. Um, yeah, so we've we've had some some great results there and, and seen a lot of traction. Um, I do think that they are very fast moving, very eager to work with new data sets um, and bring more people into the fold. Whether that's immigrants or thin file Americans, I think varies depends on the provider and, and what mm -hmm. sector they're really focused on. Because I actually think like personal loan tends to be a little bit more scarce around immigrants because. Right. Uh, it's often a debt consolidation solution, which would mean that you previously have some some debt outstanding already. But yeah, I think it's a it's a terrific segment, and I think like they have been. I mean, I think they've invested a ton in some of these, you know, bank transaction data analytics teams. But I think maybe what what they're looking for more is, you know, how do they get all of the data sets overnight without having to spend all of their engineering resources on it. And then not just once you have these data sets, but then how do you actually understand them and build analytics on top? And I, I'd say that's like really where our specialty comes in, which is saying that we're not just giving you raw data in any data that we deliver. We always will provide some insights and some intelligence on top, which which I think is where the industry is, is going to have to move to ultimately. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So then I was talking with your, your partner, Misha, the CEO of Nova Credit a few months ago, and he said something which surprised me. And I would like you to kind of... Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to just sort of, you know, really tease it out for the audience here. He basically said that the the immigrant credit challenge has been solved. Like what mm. you've what you've been able to do is you've you've been able you've been able to solve this problem. You know, do you agree with that? And do, do you and, and maybe you can tell us really has it been solved? Well, of course, I have to agree. Um, <laughs> we have a loyal partnership. Um, no, I mean, uh, I think I think Misha's. I think I think. In the years that we've been building this business, we can now cover the majority of immigrants arriving to the US. We've built the infrastructure, we've built the tools. We do work across a range of use cases, but I think we still are scaling our partnerships. And so I think that the tool is there. Um, I think the adoption is there, but there's still a way to go. So that, you know, part of our vision is that like no immigrant should run into unnecessary hurdles or not be able to get approved for the right products that are appropriate for them. Uh, when they come into the states, and I, I don't think we've realized that vision just yet. But I think I think especially now we can be really proud of just like where we're at product-wise, and it's our job to 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 step the foot on the gas and make sure that this gets adopted throughout the industry. So then, would you would you say the data quality, you know, around the world is uh, 
is good enough that you can re- that the US lenders really can underwrite on you know obviously although you've said you've got 15 countries I'm just wondering because isn't it won't there some countries have worse credit quality the the quality of the data itself would not be worse than in others I mean it sort of comes back to the conversation we were having earlier where I was saying you know like some of these systems are just so much more modern that the the actual quality of the data ends up being higher than the US data quality. I think you do have challenges around penetration. So, you know, I think particularly in in some emerging markets, just that there isn't as much credit being issued in the first place, um, and then less of it is being sort of reported and recorded in different ways or, or in formats that are accessible. However, that's where I think, again, like when you think about some of those markets, that's where like you know, transaction data get becomes really interesting as well as a sort of supplement. So, you know, I think maybe the ratio of credit data to alternative data varies by market that you really need to be able to get an underwritable image of someone. The other thing I'll say is that this is kind of a, a slightly bizarre, this struck me as very bizarre when I, when I sort of realized it, but, you know, in the credit space, an absence of bad data is also a good signal. So even knowing that someone does hasn't left a whole bunch of outstanding obligations somewhere can be a really good signal to be able to get the comfort and right. the right from them. So, so yes. And then, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to sort of maybe your, 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 your sort of implied point around, like, do people in the industry trust this? The answer is, is yes. Like we've been able to see that by pulling off not just one, but, you know, multiple partnerships with, with fortune 500 companies. Right, and we right. see this in that, like, you know, <laughs> our pitch Peter you know is, is is not always a very exciting one we're like this is so boring this is the same credit bureau data you've been working with for decades right. it happens to be from another country and like you know if you're talking to like Citibank you're saying you're actually using this data in city in India <laughs> you know so like right. why would you be comfortable using it in the states so so no I think this data uh, is is pretty damn good right right okay okay so um, we're almost out of time but I, a couple more things I want to get to and you know, you've, we've talked a lot about international, you know, credit scores and credit data, but what I mean, when it comes to to you know, there's obviously there's thin file, there's thin file consumers in in this country and in every country. But if you're running a lend a lending platform today, how would you build um, or how can you help to build a a fair and inclusive you know credit system or financial system? Let's just say even beyond credit. Oh, you've just promoted me to lender. Interesting. Is it too tough for you? <laughs> I think what really matters in this space is responsible issuance of credit. And I think it's very easy to start saying things like, you know, credit is a human right and things like that. And I, and I think that's super dangerous. So the questions are like, how, how do you deliver credit in a way that is not predatory, first of all? So you're not giving someone a loan obligation that they are unable uh, to handle, even if it ends up being profitable for you, you're not hurting your customer. That's maybe sort of like the first tenet. I think the second one is like, how do you enable your customer base to put their best foot forward? So yeah, like whether that be like showcasing your data or showcasing your employment, just making sure that you've done the work to understand your segment deeply and enable themselves to portray themselves in the best light. And I think often what happens is like, you know, you can, you do a fair, a good enough job for, for a significant proportion of your applicants, but maybe not all of them. And maybe you're mischaracterizing the risk around the way, along the way. I think that the, the last piece is also just like, what is the application flow? How well do people understand what is going on? Um, and, you know, especially with, with data sets that are consumer permissioned, 
Are consumers really understanding what they're opting into? Are they getting to see their data? Are they getting to control it? Are they getting to revoke uh, their consent should they choose to? So I think there's like there's definitely an education piece um, around credit as well that that's vital. And then, you know, one 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 final thing I'll say is that I've talked a lot about like credit and underwriting, but there's also just like a basic piece around like identity verification and making sure you understand the identity of who's applying um, and that you're able to like get them through that such that um, such that you can prove that they are who they say they are and, and make them a good customer. So yeah, that's my that's my four point plan for when you make it. Fair enough. I mean, that, and then that, that last point, you could have a whole podcast just on that very, on that yeah, point. Seriously. But, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So then, last question: what, What's on tap for for Nova Credit this year? What are you guys? Uh, what's coming down the pipe? Oof, a lot. I mean, uh, we are going global, so we are very much uh, rearing up for our first international market, which I'm super, super excited for. And then the second piece is that we're, we're starting to launch new products and, and scale them. So uh, that is uh, something that we plan to have some more news on, uh, hopefully early Q2. But yeah, we've been, we've, been, we've been doing some betas with some early customers around some, some product extensions and seeing some great results. So um, looking to continue to, to bring more people into the credit fold. Okay, well, Nikki, we'll have to leave it there. Um, it's always great to chat with you and best of luck. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Okay, see ya. You know, I was chatting with Nikki after we stopped recording and it really, it, to me, it's amazing that this uh, this hasn't been solved. This hadn't been solved before Nova Credit came along because people have been talking about alternative data, certainly in the fintech industry, for well over a decade. And yet this uh, the whole immigrant population, no one had really tried to solve it. I mean, I mean American Express couldn't solve it. Um, certainly other, other, she talked about city, they have, uh, they're using data in various different places, but no one had sort of built the infrastructure. And that I think is, is uh, really a testament to, you know, to to the team at Nova Credit that they've been able to really solve a problem, as Misha said, as, as Nikki really agreed with there, that they've solved the problem of, of really of immigrant information, credit information flowing across borders, that uh, it should never have been a silo. It certainly, you know, it shouldn't have been a silo certainly for a long time. But the fact that they've solved that problem really means that there's more places they can go here. They've got an expertise in really in solving difficult data problems. And uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, what is going to be coming down the track for them going forward. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lendit's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27 to 29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lender's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lendit is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lendit Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Sign up today at lendit.com/usa.